hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we are going to be discussing Chet Holmgren's Liz Frank injury. It's been a while since I've been on guys but this has been the big news the last two weeks so I'm just going to be giving my perspective on you know kind of how his injury is going to impact this team. Obviously Holmgren and how that could play out in the long term and then what this could mean for the roster moving forward. It's been a minute, guys. We are finally back on the pod. I'm going to be bringing you probably some action two times a week. I think that's what we're shooting for as we get ready for the regular season to kick off. And there has been some news for the OKC Thunder. Unless you've been living on a rock, you know what I'm talking about. I'm late to the party. I apologize, but we are here. And we're talking about Chet Holmgren and his Liz Frank injury he suffered at the crossover pro-am. And last month, you know, he goes in to play against LeBron James. You have Paulo Bancaro back again. I mean, this was supposed to be just a star-studded game. And it was a disaster. Nothing short of a disaster. You know, you have the lines just spewing out. You know, you can't, you fill, you know, the arena easily, but... Uh, people can't get in that have been camping out. People are sneaking in through the back door. That's not what matters, right? But the floor is just moist as it can get. I mean, this has precipitation on it like no other. It sounded like. And two minutes in the game, Chet Holmgren, one-on-one isolation against LeBron James. Really awkward landing, and he's done for the season. Did not know that at the time. You know, it looked like that maybe he would be out for... Uh, some period, but to the degree of missing this entire season, I don't think anybody had that on their bingo card, and that is exactly what played out. So this is not a great outcome for Chet Holmgren, obviously not a great outcome for the Oklahoma City Thunder organization, Uh, and you know, there were so many things going well going into the season. It doesn't stop, you know, progression, obviously, but it most definitely stifles it, and Sam Presti had a 10 a.m. press conference talking about Holmgren and his injury and the way he said it is you know if you were to tell me that we wouldn't have the second pick you know we'd have the sixth pick again um or you could have Holmgren and you'd have to wait a year to play him he'd go for that second option any day of the week I think that's just that's just factual I mean that's the way everybody should go because of how special of a talent Chet Holmgren is just how well he fits with his roster but having him sidelined for the year most definitely is not an ideal situation. And there have been multiple different, you know, outlets talking with doctors, people in the medical field on Holmgren, what a Liz Frank injury is. Not too many occurrences we've seen at the NBA level. Definitely not a seven foot, 195 pound center who plays like a guard. Um, but you do, you do see it in the NFL and there have been studies to where it shows a degree of, you know, digression a little bit after this. We're not going to know until we see Holmgren back on the basketball court, obviously. And factors such as, you know, weight. Uh, We don't know if that's really going to be a a major, major point of concern based on this injury. And if that increases the chance of, let's say, a re-injury in his foot. But I think regardless, you know, you were thinking OKC was going to play the safe route here. It didn't matter if he sprained his ankle or he was legitimately having to be sidelined for the rest of the season. 
OKC, the last two years, has been big time on just making sure their players are safe. And this is something that I most definitely agree with as well. You know, when you have a rebuild going on, you don't want to throw someone out like Shea Gilgis-Alexander or Lou Dort fresh off an injury when there's eight games left in the year and they're not playing for the play-in. You know, that's a moment in time where you're going to shuffle in the bench, you're going to shuffle in some guys from the G League, and you're just going to let it ride. Beginning of the season, it's obviously different than what we've seen around the All-Star break is where a lot of these injuries have been clumped together uh, in previous years, but regardless, there's no point when there's not really a set end goal for the season. It's just kind of let it go, let go of the wheel for a little bit and see where it takes you, if you will. And now, OKC is going to have to steer it a little bit here. Um... And they're going to have to make some rotational changes, most definitely. For Holmgren, I mean, yeah, this one's a shot in the heart because he looked like the perfect fit in Summer League. He starts out in Utah, drops 23 points, 6 blocks. That's a record for the Salt Lake City outlet. And his first quarter was nothing short of monstrous. 13 points in the first. Taco Fall looks like Taco Small. I don't even know what to say about that. But he just he couldn't hang with Holmgren. And then you have Kofi Coburn, another just big center struggle. You know, he's swatting shots like nobody's business, really. Man's like a Venus flytrap around the basket. And then he even has some where he's blocking guards. So his range of shot blocking immediately put him as the best shot blocker on this Thunder team day one to the last game of the season. You know, 1 through 82, he was going to be the guy in that department. And then you go into the offensive bag that he has. He is unlike seven-footers we've seen in this draft process. He's not Alexei Pokushevsky. You know, Poku, he came in basically as a ball of Play-Doh. You got Chet Holmgren. You already know what you have in him. You have a very, very talented player. Someone who's able to take the ball coast-to-coast, pop it from the top of the key. And if you're trying to play up on him, that's fine. He'll go right around you, take it to the basket. Dangerous in open space, but also such a creative basketball player on the offensive end. And OKC, they have a lot of those. You have SGA, arguably one of the best isolation players in the NBA. Josh Giddy, someone who's reliably able to throw cross-court passes, able to tap into the interior, and just a very fun secondary playmaker. And then you throw in just other assortments of players like the Pokus, like the Baisleys, where they do have sort of unique archetypes, uh, but it can make for some interesting games. With Holmgren added there, particularly at the center spot, I think it just would have been the perfect, perfect puzzle piece to what this franchise needed. And that is someone at the five who can not only stretch the court, but is able to play at that same octane where it is high, high paced basketball. He's able to play in transition. It doesn't always have to be a half court show, but if it needs to be, he'll set you a screen. He can fade to the three point line, or he can even take it himself, slip to the basket and find himself two points. That's what happened in summer league. I think that would have carried over pretty well. And that's not even going into account of his defensive ability. OKC has not had particularly good pick and roll defenders at the five spot. You can go down the line Guys like Ennis Cantor, unplayable against the Golden State Warriors because he could not defend on screens. Last two seasons, we've seen many, many talented centers that I think had a strong case to stay on this team, and they didn't get the lie today. I think the big reason was because they could not defend proficiently on screens. I'm talking guys such as Moses Brown, who I'm still very high on, Omer Yurt7, who did not get even 
a drop of NBA play with the Thunder. He trained in Miami after that season and got the deal. So I don't know if it was already like a gentleman's agreement or what, but never got to suit up for the Thunder. Very talented with the blue though. And then someone such as Olivier Saar too, where he killed it on his two-way contract. He's going to be playing for a spot in Portland now though. So that's uh, an interesting wrinkle that has occurred within the blue landscape as well. Anyways, Holmgren, he's someone that patches that up because he is so agile at the five spot. He is able to play multiple different positions. Even if you have to switch on a screen, I think at times he can play pretty good defense on some guards too. So he gets A pluses all across the board in terms of team fit, and he was clearly the best fit for this Thunder team. Whenever I was ranking the pre-draft process, I think I had Holmgren tabbed second on my board. I had Paulo one, then I had Chet, and I think I had 3A, 3B with Jabari Smith and Jaden Ivey. But the big thing was the fit. Number one, easily. If I, I, I don't know if I botched up my words there, but first category was talent second was fit I think when you combine those he probably was the best slam dunk fit for the Oklahoma City Thunder and he still is but it is going to have to be on the back burner and that means the Thunder will need to be exhausting some other options going into the Thunder and you know what has been great with them you're looking at that backcourt Shea Gilgis Alexander Josh Giddy, Trey Mann J-Dub now in the mix he's gonna have a big time role this year I'm gonna be talking all about it on the podcast this year but they have a special core four I believe the problem I don't think the front court is able to really balance it out this is a team that has obvious strengths and obvious weaknesses and the one weakness has always rested at that center spot and it's been that way the last couple of seasons I think OKC, they've had good centers come in and out of this. They had Al Horford just two seasons ago. Look at what he did. Doing damage for the Boston Celtics, almost getting a Larry O'Brien trophy in the process. I mean, he showed up when it mattered last postseason. But you don't have that long-term piece. Chet Holmgren is going to be that long-term piece. You're going to put him in an incubator for a year, but when he's out, it's going to be hatched. He's going to be good to go. You still have this one year where you're almost in limbo again, where there is just no true identity at the five spot. And OKC has shuffled through plenty of different options, right? Isaiah Roby, he was getting the starting nod two years ago. Passing of the torch moment last year. Jeremiah Robinson Earls is starting five. Those guys are not meant to play center. I think Roby's going to play power forward for the Spurs. And had Holmgren been healthy, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was going to play power forward. I thought that he would actually be a bench piece for the Thunder this year, at least starting out. More minutes than Bays, but he would get slid back and forth. I don't think that's an option anymore. I think he is going to have to play true center, and that's kind of the first domino that we're going to see here. So there's no true hit to this team. Uh, We'll have to see how roster cuts occur, but the only one that we can really throw at now is Isaiah Roby being gone. And now you have Jalen Williams out of Arkansas filling in the gashes there. I thought, and I still think he he probably would have been a a G League assignee from the get-go. As soon as November hits, he's going to train with the blue. Now I'm not so certain. I think he'll get run to begin this season, about seven games before you get into G League action. And he's playing well. He might just stay up there and not move down. That's what happened with Teo Maladon and Romy. They were supposed to play in the bubble season, but they played really well to the point that they didn't need to take that trip downwards. So 
I think Jay Will is going to play pretty significant minutes to start this season out. But Jeremiah Robinson Earl, that's going to be your starting center for next season. And it's not a bad thing. You know, JRE performed pretty well last year, all things considered. Averaged seven and a half points, 5.6 rebounds, one assist, and shot 35% from distance. I think the one assist per game doesn't do it justice. He's very smart in terms of passing vision, and that's something that this team desperately needs. But he's really just the plug and play. You know, I think it was known from when he joined and he had to start at center. That would be a short term, and it still is a short term here. But um, he's he's a solid building block. You want to move him to his natural position as soon as possible, though, and obviously that is not... Uh, where he is currently going to be played at. He's still good, you know, in terms of spacing the floor out, but there's a clear difference in defending someone such as Jeremiah compared to Chet Holmgren. I think if Holmgren was out there at the top of the key, you're most definitely going to have somebody switching on to him. Roby, no one switched on him last year. I think JRE, they will test him, and he's going to have to earn it this season. So there is some doubt in the air in terms of how the pick-and-pop play would go, uh, but also in terms of being a role man. You know, it is a little tough for someone such as JRE at six foot eight to be playing center and being that role man. Does he have some solid speed? Absolutely. But it is a tick below, you know, what I'd say Holmgren's capabilities are. So You are stunted in the area that's the biggest, and that's how SGA operates off of high ball screens. He's still going to be very good as a player, but because you're taking away what I'd argue is probably their second most pivotal offensive piece at any given moment in Holmgren, it's a domino effect. OKC historically was atrocious on catch-and-shoot threes last year. They ranked 269th out of 270 teams in the nine years they've been tracking catch-and-shoot three-pointers. 32.6% is where they shot at. And the one team worse shot 32.5. And they shot half as many times as the Thunder did last year. Teams are willing to sag off on the Thunder, and they're able to reap the benefits of it because they just don't have that solidified identity yet. They're not bringing in specific sharpshooters they have lindy waters i think j-dub is going to be a really good three-point shooter for this team but they're not bringing in free agent marksmen that are immediately going to solve this this is still very much the same team where i think it's it's going to be rough sometimes it's going to be sporadic in the box score on how they play from distance and that's going to translate to the win-loss record i think when it's all said and done here but you got to you got to have someone who's able to pop um, for OKC defensively he held up solid last year you know he's not a guy that's going to be taking back to basket bigs just as Isaiah Roby wasn't last season your better options would be someone such as Mike Muscala Derek Favors if he's still hanging around or maybe Jay will even get some run in that department but you do take a bit of a, a dunk in, in both areas where you really do not want any of that. Mike Muscala is the stable option here, and he was one of the most efficient players in basketball last season. Averaged eight points in 14 minutes per game, shooting 43% from distance. Amazing from the top of the key. If you were looking for a trailer, there was nobody better on this Thunder group than Mike Muscala. I saw the 2K rankings came out earlier, I think this week. Muscala is 
clearly their best three-point shooter, and that's what translated. So at least 2K got something right this year. We'll see how the actual gameplay ends up uh, turning out. But Muscala, yeah, he's able to hit three-pointers. So he brings a nice floor to this team because at least on the second level, and you know if the game's in crunch, uh, crunch time, you can throw in someone such as Muscala, and you're going to have to play all three levels in terms of the center position. Beyond that, I don't really think you have to worry if you're an opposing defense. Derek Favors can't shoot threes. Jay Will still doesn't look too comfortable even in the mid-range yet. And a lot of the other front court figures are not established from downtown. Guys like Darius Baisley and Alexei Pokashevsky are going to see a lot more time this year because of Holmgren being out. But they're going to need to significantly improve if they're going to stick around. Baze is going into his contract here. It's going to be a hefty qualifying offer. Alexei Pokashevsky is going into his third season. He needs to make a strong statement if he wants to continue on because OKC, if they're looking to turn the corner, if you're kind of behind, they're going to have to leave you in the dust. Um, And for someone such as Poku, there's so much potential there. And you can clearly see that he's going in the right direction. Major leap, uh, I think, in terms of efficiency from year one through two, But until you start seeing game after game, positive, 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 it is going to be uh, interesting on how Mark Dagnall likes to move those minutes about. It gets a little bit easier here because you get to play Baze and Poku, both ample amount of minutes now, but that is a a battle that wasn't here last season and most definitely is in the cards now, especially if OKC elects to go with the forward in this upcoming draft class. But... Bays, you know, he's one of those guys where defensively he's looked solid, led the team in blocks, looked pretty restrained as a defender, but offensively he hasn't shown up from distance and that is not the, uh, the ideal outcome. You know, teams are sagging off. I know in December he picked it back up, but teams were sagging off and he just wasn't shooting it. And that gave light to guys like Aaron Wiggins getting playing time and being able to break out a little bit with Poku it's almost the exact opposite where if you give him two feet of room he's gonna launch it sometimes it'll go five for five sometimes it'll go to over five you got to find a happy medium here where you know he is able to stabilize that production because if he does he's definitely a player that you want to have on your roster there's just so much untapped potential with him and you have to remember he's only 20 years old he doesn't turn 21 until December 26th, so he's going to be going into Christmas as a 20-year-old. That is wild for a third-year player, and you want to take the prospect moniker off of him. Now's the year to do it. I think this is going to be a big-time campaign for him. Third years always tend to be that way. You know, this is when you I'm not going to say make it or break it, but this is when you need to show your true colors and show why you deserve to be getting rotational minutes. He's going to have front-loaded minutes, I think, this year to where he does have that opportunity to really establish himself as a player moving on into the future. Below that, guys like Aaron Wiggins, I think you could see them him getting playing time where it might have been a little bit more shaky uh, prior to injury, but... I think he's more of a small forward. Maybe you could throw him up at the power forward spot. More of the reliable type, uh, if you will, compared to the others. But it's going to be similar dynamics of last year, where I think a lot of teams are going to just jam that box up, play some box in one, 
let guys rip the cords from downtown and just live with the end result. They had 24 wins last year. I don't know where exactly Vegas would be bookmarking them in terms of the wins this go around, but you're going to have an improved SGA. You're going to have an improved Lou Dort. I think that J-Dub is legitimately on the right path to at least all rookie second team. I mean, for what this team needs, he could be starting right away, and I would um, I wouldn't bat an eye. I, I hate saying this, but I, I always got to bring it up when I talk about J-Dub. You know, I was one of the only guys that was really high on Jalen Williams being selected by the Thunder at 12. He wasn't on the lottery radar going into this draft process. Killed it at the draft combine. On tape, you can see that he is just a Presti-like player, six foot six, seven foot two wingspan, and he has just been a special surprise because he's able to play off the ball just as well as he does play on ball. They need those Swiss Army Knife type of guys. He's been that. Give him big time minutes to close the year out. I guarantee he's going to be posting some very, very good statistics for them. But that is kind of where things are at right now. There's another layer of this, though, that goes into the back of this roster. OKC still is has to move on from some players. You know, even without Holmgren, they don't get the luxury of a new roster spot. The roster spot's still filled. They're going to have about $2.1 million in cap space if they want to sign a player. But they're still way over the limit right now, and they're going to need to cut down on three different guys. Going into that final level of the roster cuts. There could be surprises. I know there was some tweet out. I think Thunder Focus sent it out on some open runs where you saw just about everybody from the Thunder plane. But there was the exclusion of guys such as Teo, such as Veet, um, and such as some of these others like Ty Jerome. You have Euro Cup and Euro Basket play going on that just wrapped up, so I think that's a good enough reason to um, kind of get to the bottom of some of those guys. I don't think it was anything serious whatsoever, but you still have kind of that symbolism there of, you know, there are some guys that might be on the outside looking in and they're trying to make a push to this roster. Holmgren being injured does change things a little bit, and We'll start with Ty Jerome because prior to Chet being injured, I actually thought that he had a really strong chance of making this roster. And he still does because I think he's the highest floor guard that is of the trio right now with Credci and Maladone. Going into his fourth season, he's going to have a qualifying offer next off season. So I don't really know if the Thunder would want to pick that up. But if they were confident in his abilities and they think that he'd be a solid bench piece for the future, you would want to retain him because... His passing IQ is way above the curve. He's one of the best passers on this Thunder team in the half court. And if he has that three-point shot in tune, he's just the perfect fifth guard for this team because he's 6'5". He can move one or two. And if he's able to have that steady three-point production, you're made in the shade right there. You know, Ty Jerome was insane for this Thunder roster two seasons ago. Shooting 42% from distance. Looked like he couldn't miss a pass. He looked like he was freaking Magic Johnson out there sometimes. You know, like, he's pretty good all around. And that's exactly what the team needed. But last year, the three-point shot wasn't falling, and he kind of put himself into rotational hijinks. He still has the range. I mean, you'll see it in open runs. He can shoot from the half-court line consistently. And with Chip England now in the mix... If he's able to kind of resuscitate that three-point shot, 
Clearly, he's good. But because of the contractual status, because you have to worry about an impending free agency for him, I think his value diminishes to where it'd be hard to keep him around unless you're intending to uh, be pushing for the playoffs the next couple years. I don't think the Thunder are necessarily doing that, um, and I don't think they're going to do that this season. So I think that it, it, it does hurt his case. On the flip side of this, Derek Favors. Now, if he's still looking to be on this team, he's the veteran presence at the five alongside Mike Muscala that could really help out. I mean, he's still an NBA-level center. He doesn't have the range. Is he kind of more old school? I guess you could say absolutely a little bit more on that side, but he's still a very talented player, and he gives you rebounds, solid screen setter. In terms of defense, pretty solid. I mean, he just kind of is that bandage for you, and when you don't have true centers, you kind of need those type of guys. Could he be a really good mentor towards Chet Holmgren, towards Jay Will? Absolutely. I think prior to Chet's injury, his biggest pro was being that mentor. Really good in terms of footwork around the basket. I think that's something that you know he could kind of show a little bit off on Holmgren and just his overall experiences because Favors, he was a top three pick too. You know, he had high expectations and Heck of a player. I don't think he had any all-star appearances, but he was really close in the Al Jefferson days. So he has that resume that the others just can't, you know, kind of match. But the other two in Teo and Veet, they have the upside factor. Teo, really good as a rookie in terms of efficiency. Some nights he wasn't there, but when he was controlling the half court, razzle-dazzle. I mean, he was throwing cross-court passes. He was launching up floaters, step back threes. He just looked very confident to where he was supposed to be the sixth man going into last season. And it it just didn't work out that way for him. But I think there is still potential. I thought that OKC might've wanted to maybe trade him off last year because the situation isn't really good on either side. OKC has sort of established their half-court tandem in SGA and Josh Giddy, and now even Trey Mann and Jalen Williams. Teo Maladone needs to be the primary handler, not really the secondary, and I don't think he'd get that unless he gets moved somewhere else. A team like the Wizards or something, where he could have some control at you know that second-level capacity, that'd be really beneficial to him, and I think he'd be able to move himself back into contract extension talks because with the Thunder, it looks like he's kind of on the verge, um, and, and this isn't a skill thing. I, I am still very high on him. When he got picked by the Thunder, I was really ecstatic for the franchise, actually. It was between him or Paul Reed on my board, so... I still think he has that NBA-level talent, but can the Thunder tap into that, and can they give him the opportunity to succeed? There have been plenty of times where they've made deals on behalf of the player, on behalf of the agent, and they parted pretty well. Paul George is the perfect example. The only bad one that was made public was maybe Gabrielle Deck, and that was an interesting situation that went south on both parties. I don't really know if that would work out the same if Teo uh, was to be kept on this team and they didn't play him. I'm not sure. But the final guy in Vic Kredci, I'm also very high on. Not only at 34 was I happy. When they got them at 30, him at 37, that was great. OKC basically traded nothing to get him. They traded pick 54, I believe it was, which is Cassius Winston, 
and a future second round pick, which clearly they have plenty of those to, uh, you know, kind of restack the box. I think they'll be all right. But Crutchy at six foot eight, he brings a lot of very strong qualities, really good finisher around the basket, mechanically sound as a shooter, as a passer. He's making wacky passes when you're looking at his pro tape when he got selected. I mean, he's, he's throwing tap passes. He's throwing it over his head, you know, no looks like it's not like it's nothing. And, um, he translated over last season. You know, he had to rehab all of the 2020 to 21 campaign, but it really didn't look like he missed a step athletically, not too many dunks for him. I think the ACL injury could obviously factor into that, but he's still able to take contact around the basket and, as a rebounder and passer, he looked really good. I mean, with the OKC Blue, he played a lot in the Winter Showcase until he got injured. He was one of their most steady options. And I think to close the year for the Thunder, he was one of the most steady options yet again. Kretschy really was able to kind of help this team out. And I think he still brings a net positive presence. Is he going to be playing in this rotation? I don't think so, unless there are injuries that spring up, and that is the one thing that might put him on the hot seat. At age 21, with the direction of this Thunder team, I think he still fits in fairly well. You have guys like Poku. You already have some bigger handlers like Josh Giddy, Chet Holmgren, if you want to include him. And there is the development path in sight for someone such as Veet, but... It will be cutthroat, and I'm sure this training camp is going to be brutal for everybody involved. In terms of how the Holmgren situation uh, impacted it, I think the stock did go up for favors, and it might have went down for Ty Jerome. It's hard to see how it would fluctuate for the other two, and I don't think we're gonna—I don't think they care actually until they actually get in a training camp. You're able to see the per- personnel up close on these four, and they're able to decipher who they want to keep going into this 15-man roster i want to round things out today by talking about okc blue news actually here and this comes from some of the former players and okc the blue have been pretty pretty active here i'm gonna go into this more in depth later in the week but i just want to give you guys the news now before i give my deep dive on it the okc blue schedule was announced earlier in the week they're gonna be playing in tulsa for a game, which is really awesome for that crowd. I hope that they have um, a, a 66ers jersey on. I know that other franchises, I know last year the South Bay Lakers were donning some Defenders jerseys. So I thought that was really cool. I think it looked really cool when they're back down in Tulsa. And if they make those um, jerseys and t-shirts available, I guarantee there'd actually be a pretty good market that would want those. Um, I know... Back whenever they were in Tulsa, they did fill the stadium pretty well. And I'm sure for the G League itself, they're probably pretty excited for this game. It's going to be at the BOK Center, and you know they won't have probably a backdrop for that contest. I want to go into the actual player news here, though, and it starts with Anthony Robertson. He got a nickname last year from the Thunder, or the Blue Crew, I guess that's what I like to call it here. And this one came from Kevin Chen. I thought it was uh, a pretty good one. But Anthony got the nickname of Mr. Snip Snap because he was assigned or he was removed from the blue and then brought back six separate times last season. And what I think is one of the coolest storylines of the G League uh, from the blue perspective last year. 
He hardly played, but when he did, good effort from him. He averaged 3.1 points and 3.2 rebounds. I think it was nine games. But anytime the Thunder wanted to send in a waiver claim or they wanted to bring someone down, they had to move someone off the roster, and it always happened to be Anthony. I'm sure he was wearing street clothes. I'm sure he was still hanging around with the team. But what an interesting type of role he played last year. He's going to be in an expanded role going into the 2022-23 season. He signed a deal with the Manchester Giants of the British Basketball League. So he's going to be settling over in the UK. Probably not going to have to be activated and deactivated six times. So (laughs) he'll be good. Um, Really fun covering him. You know, there were multiple different players with the blue last year where you could tell there was a big following and Anthony was actually one of them. So I thought that was very, very cool. He is the older brother of Andre Robertson. If you guys are keeping tabs on that, but yeah, he'll be moving on another thing I want to talk about is the blue made a trade and this one could have gone under the radar but this actually holds some pretty big significance here the Oklahoma City Blue traded with the Wisconsin Herd earlier this week and what sent Rob Edwards to the herd alongside a 2023 second round pick OKC on the exchange of this deal ended up netting a first round pick in this year's G League draft, and they also acquired rights to a six foot ten center. And if you guys know, they are always looking for centers. Olivier Sars on his way out, so they ended up bringing in Javin Delorior, who is not going to be playing for the Blue next season. He's signed overseas with the Greek Basketball League, but he has looked pretty good over the summer. And you get a top 10 pick in the G League draft. It is the 7th pick going into the draft. Before we get into what the Thunder brought in here, Rob Edwards has been one of the Blues' biggest, most impactful players the last two seasons. There was a dynamic duo between him and Xavier Simpson last year. Simpson's on an Exhibit 10 deal with the Magic. He's fighting for a training camp spot. As for Rob Edwards, probably going to be the exact same situation here. He made their training camp last season, then was moved on to the blue. Looked really good in the bubble. He was a third round pick in the G League draft. That is insane when you really think about it. And he was able to climb the ropes to where he actually got a 10-day deal with the Thunder last year. But even with that, it was kind of in a spot where you're kind of working to find the right situation that's what it comes down to for the back end of rotations in the NBA and it's what it comes down to in the G League you need to find teams that need your set skills and can translate to the next level for the Thunder they have a lot of guard talent they have guys such as SGA such as Goody such as Trey Mann such as J-Dub to where even guys like Teo Maladone and Ty Jerome aren't even guaranteed a roster spot so him moving to Wisconsin Probably a mutually beneficial venture. And OKC ends up getting an upgraded draft pick out of this. Nazi Muhammad slowly but surely turning into Sam Presti in the G League. But with Rob Edwards looking at his G League stats, a really, really pivotal piece of this team. He saw it all. He saw Moses Brown and Omir at 7 dunking on over, over everybody. He saw Xavier Simpson throwing up skyhooks. And he saw 
the Winter Showcase Cup Final before getting his contract. Averaged 13 points in his career with the Blue, 4.1 rebounds and 1.4 assists, shooting 37% from distance. Absolute sniper. I think if he's able to kind of tighten up on his passing game, sometimes he does kind of chuck up some shots. He's going to be in a really good situation with Wisconsin. And they did not have a very good season last year. They're going to need someone to rally around. Because they're making this type of trade, I believe that Rob Edwards should be a pretty big part of their plans. So that's going to be exciting. If you are a Rob Edwards fan, it's going to be good for G League basketball, keeping him in the league as many different players have decided to go the overseas route this offseason. The Blue now have three top 12 picks in the G League draft. That's wacky. Now, there's no press release confirming the picks here. So this is the unconfirmed that I just did off of my um, remembrance of the teams. They should have picks 7, 8, and 12 in the upcoming class. A lot of times, these players are not available. You know, even undrafted guys are nagged on Exhibit 10s. That takes them out of the draft pool. But there's going to be returning players, and there's going to be guys that slip through the cracks to where they might actually be able to acquire them, and OKC could build a pretty good team. They lost out on Jalen Horde a couple weeks ago. Jamias Ramsey might still be with the Blue next year. We haven't heard much on his situation just yet, but they're going to be building stuff up as the G League draft progresses. So I'm going to be super stoked for that, super stoked for Thunder Basketball. Thank you guys for sticking around with me over this little break. We're back, and we are ready to go. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you next time. See ya.